in this passage, there's so much. This is, um, I, I, I love this book. I was, just, I was telling a few of you, I, when I interviewed at Calvary Church, when I interviewed at Calvary Church, uh, the church I just came from, that I was there for almost seven years, um, when I interviewed there, the interview process was really intense. And uh, like, when I say intense, it was really, really intense. And so our pastor there, John Monroe, was a Scottish lawyer, trial lawyer, and he had the most brilliant mind I've ever known. And I was super intimidated. I remember it was, it was first of all, I go to Calvary Church. I have I had been there once for a concert when I was in high school. I grew up in Charlotte, but this was on the south side of the city, and it's just this monster building. And uh, I had to go up to the fourth floor. I get on an elevator, go up to the fourth floor of this church. And I go into the lobby and I'm like sitting in the lobby, just getting more and more nervous as the moments go by. Cause I know, I didn't really know exactly what I was getting into in this interview. I just knew that uh, God had opened this door for us to, and I couldn't believe he even wanted to have an interview with me in the first place. And so I go and, and I'm going in, they asked the easy questions that morning earlier. And it was more about like, just who I am, uh, about my love for God, that kind of stuff. So like the easy stuff. And then this was supposed to be the the big test of like your Bible knowledge and your knowledge of theology. And so it was with their pastors on staff there. And like all of them are doctors and like all of the, like several, like one was from Grace and with MacArthur, he was on staff at the time and John Monroe was there and he was already just intimidating enough to me. And uh, he asked me this question. And one of the questions he asked me was, um, so they asked me all these questions. They're asking me, okay, well, tell me the covenants in the Old Testament. Like, just start walking through some of the covenants. So I'm like, all right, so I got this. I named a few, and they're like, you're missing one. There's a pretty important one in there. You know, I'm like, what are you going to? And so anyways, I had missed it. I had missed, like, I, I don't even remember which one it was, but it wasn't the Abrahamic covenant. I had that one down. I had that one down. Uh, and, the, and the Davidic covenant. But anyways, I think it was like the Noah one or something. But um, felt like a trick question, but... <laughs> But, but anyway, so they're asking me, they're asking me these questions. And so then eventually, so they asked a few questions, kind of easier ones to kind of like work you in a little bit. And then they asked this question. They said, all right, tell us your favorite book in the, in the old Testament. And it can't be Jonah. I'm like, well, that stinks. Cause I like Jonah, but I wasn't really thinking about Jonah. And so I'm like, okay, the first thing that came to my head was cause I love, I love this book is Exodus. So I said, Exodus, I love, I love the book of Exodus. And so um, sure enough, he says, all right, start in chapter one <laughs> and walk me through the book, like the whole thing. And like my Bible is not allowed to be opened. It's sitting in front of me right there. And I'm going like, what is in Moses? I mean, what is this Moses? I, I think he's an infant, <laughs> right? I'm like, you know, chapter one, he's like, all right, well, that's good. Yep. That happens in there. The birth of Moses, but he's like, that's chapter two, not chapter one. <laughs> and so, but, but anyways, like, and so I go through it a very, very poorly. And he's like, this is, and I'm sure he's thinking in his mind, this is supposedly your favorite book. You don't even seem to know it. <laughs> he's like, all right, the tabernacle happens when you're like, that, that is true. The tabernacle does happen <laughs> in Exodus. And so, I mean, I was, I was, I was terrified and it only felt like it got worse, but somehow, somehow by the grace of God, they hired me. Um, and uh, but it was such a humbling experience because, for one, I was with men who, like, I had grown up in the, I'd grown up in a church and a Christian school. I'd went to Christian college. Um, I had been in church literally my whole life. I think at that point in my life, I was, you know, uh, like early, like early thirties, and 
probably felt like I had arrived uh, knowledge-wise, and I sat in that interview and quickly realized I know nothing <laughs> compared to these men who have walked with the Lord and studied their Bible. Uh, and um, so I do love this book, and I know it a lot better than I did even about seven years ago. Um, and so this is an incredible, incredible book, an incredible story. Even this, one of, the, one of the incredible stories really in Scripture is what we see in chapters 3 and 4. And I want us to look at it. We're going to pull a few, a few principles from it and, and uh, really hope to apply it to my life and hopefully to yours as well. Um, so let me pray as we uh, open up and read God's word together. Father, we love you. We thank you for the gift that you have given us of your word uh, and the knowledge that you put, that you've given us these brains to understand. And, and we can't even comprehend how wonderful and how beautiful and how majestic you are. And yet in this story, we're amazed at your holiness, uh, your goodness, your heart, uh, your eyes, your wisdom. There's so much to glean from this passage of scripture. And so, pray, I, Father, my prayer this morning is that I would continue uh, to live like you have called us all to live and that we would learn from these principles that we can see throughout scripture. And so help us in these things, God, help us to open up our eyes and our mind and our heart to your word and what you have to teach us today. And so we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we have this incredible book as, as uh, I think a lot of you probably know, and you're like, okay, I don't, yeah, you're right. I don't know how exactly every chapter of this book goes. And I was supposed to know that somehow without my Bible, just from memory. And, and, then, and then of course, at the end of that, he's like, you chose the book. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, what well, the crazy thing was, was he literally walked me through the book <laughs> and I chose the book. He didn't come prepared and it was incredible. So uh, this is where it picks up in the story is yes, really if we go back, even if we, because we've skipped basically as we're walking through the kind of the redemptive plan and looking how God has called us to live sent and how God is ascending God, as we see that in scripture. Last week, uh, we talked about Abraham and that kind of the, we went all the way back to the garden like the whole beginning of all of that, where God is going to send one day the seed of Eve is one day going to send his son Jesus into the world. And so now we come to, and we fast forward a few chapters to Abraham and God's call in the life of Abraham. Uh, what's gonna, what we're going to see is remarkable and what will be remarkable to us from reading this passage is Abraham's faith is really a remarkable study. To think that this, this in a sense, this nobody who has a lot, right? Like, He's blessed with a lot, and then God says, I want you to take up your family, and from your family, and from your father's household, and go to a land that I will show you. I don't, you don't even know what that land is. You don't know what it's going to look like. And what we learned last week is Abraham went. He goes. And that's, it really is remarkable. What we're going to see from Moses is he's like, all right, I like, that's a plan. I don't know if I really want to be a part of this plan. Like, he's questioning everything, and we're going to see that as we look at it. And so God's people have gone from no one to Abraham who was childless and his wife was barren to now we learn quickly in the beginning in the opening chapter. So to help you with chapter one is um, God's people are multiplied and they've multiplied and now they're living in Egypt and they're in slavery. And, and then we hear the story, we get the story in chapter two of the birth of Moses and again, what we find is Moses is born, and that's even a remarkable story of how he's rescued. His, his mom sends him down on a basket, the river, and then he grows up in the household of Pharaoh, which is remarkable as well. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden now he ends up fleeing and running, and he's been in Midian for 40 years. He's 40 years he's a shepherd. 
So, and Egyptians and most people, they do look down on shepherds. Like shepherds are a nobody. They just walk, they're nomads. They just walk the land and live off the land and hold a bunch, keep some sheep together. Um, and so they don't have, there's not much special about it. But if you look at scripture, that is God's heart. He often calls shepherds and he even called himself the great shepherd. He is a shepherd um, who guides his sheep. And so we're going to look at this story as it picks up here. Um, it tells us actually at the end of chapter two, it says this, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob and God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So we get a picture, kind of a summary of what we're getting ready to hear when God speaks to Moses. But God's hearing and we're already seeing that. But the first point I really want to point out to you is this, is the Israelites may have forgotten the Lord, but God had not forgotten them. Like the Israelites have, have really probably forgotten the Lord. Like we don't even know exactly who they're crying out to. I mean, they're crying out and we don't even know if they're crying out specifically to God or who they're crying out to. He just, God, they, these are his people. And he hears the cry of his people, even if they're not crying for him, even if they're not saying, God, we love you. Where are you? Like we want you to come and rescue us. They're just crying out and God hears it. And so the Israelites may have forgotten the Lord, but God had not forgotten them. So let's read this story. Uh, together. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. What we find out is that also it's going to be Mount Moriah where the people are going to, where the Ten Commandments are going to be given as well. And other incredible stories have happened around this mountain, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame. Uh, and again, this picture of the angel of the Lord, what we're going to see is like sometimes we in, in the Old Testament, what we're going to see is this is, most theologians call this a theophany, where God is coming and he's going to speak. He's, and a lot of people think that that is Jesus, pre, like pre, before he comes into earth. So like the, the pre-incarnate um, savior speaking here. And so God speaks specifically. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. I love this, verse 3, because does anybody know who wrote my Exodus? Anybody? Anybody got some guesses? <laughs> Moses, right. So I love this. So he says, he says this. So I just love verse 3. Some of the uniqueness of the writing of, of Scripture is so fun to me, too. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? <laughs> it's like, it's like I, there's this fiery bush, and it just seems to not be burning up. I think I might want to go see this. <laughs> it's got, and he's the one writing this. This is the funny part too. Uh, and so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to, out of the bush, Moses, Moses. It says his name twice, which is unique as well. It shows endearment and, and friendship and says, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Uh, verse five. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, and then here's who God's telling him who I am. He's like, I am the God of your father. So he mentions his father specifically. Then he goes to speak to like, hey, guess what? I also, this is the God that you've heard about probably. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, 
notice this. This is where we're getting our kind of our first point. The Israelites may have forgotten the Lord, but the God, God had not forgotten his people. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the land, hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold the cry, notice this verse 9 too. And now behold the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. You see, again, the Israelites may have forgotten the Lord, but God had not forgotten them. I mean, verse 7 tells us, I have seen, notice this, notice the description how Jesus said, or God says this. He says, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry and I know their sufferings. He's seen their affliction, he's heard their cries, and he knows their sufferings. And then verse 9 tells us, the cry of the people has come to me, and I have seen their oppression. You see, he looks down on them, and we see this in the Gospels, right? We see it as Jesus is walking, and he sees the brokenness of society. He sees the pain and the suffering. He sees the evil. He sees the he sees the, the disease, the sickness, the, the, lack of, uh, the lack of food sometimes. And what does he do? Often we see this description of, G- of Jesus in the New Testament. He looks on the people with what? He says, compassion. Oftentimes he looks in the crowd and he feels compassion. His heart is, is broken for the needs of the people. And here, the Israelites may have, they may have really forgotten the Lord. Maybe they've, they've been so oppressed and they have been in slavery for so long that they've forgotten the Lord. But this is a great principle to remind yourself of, is that God hadn't forgotten them. And so he's seen their affliction. He's heard their cry. He knows their sufferings. And look, and in verse eight, it says, I have come down to what? To deliver them and to bring them to a good, broad land. You see, he's saying the cry of of the, the people has come to me and I've seen their oppression. And so, and so now it's like, okay, I have seen a need. Because when we're saying we want to live sent, this is the phrase that I've been using in the series and titled the series on this as well, is, is if we want to live sent, one of the steps of that is recognizing need. It's paying attention, right? That's what we've been saying even in our bless acrostic, right? We, we pray, but then what happens? That L, we listen to the needs around us. We pay attention to those things. God exemplifies that for us. He notices when people, he's not absent. I think so often the temptation is to think that God doesn't care. Like, especially when you're going through hard times, right? Like if you're going through some difficulties, some trials, you're going like, does God actually even notice me anymore? Does he hear my cries? Does he see my frustration, my heartache? Does he know how hard this season of my life has been? Does he care? Listen, we can know that even, even the Israelites may have forgotten the Lord, but God hadn't forgotten them. And so he's paid attention he sees that, and that should help us when we're going through a season that's maybe a dry spot where we feel like God is absent to know that he does actually see. And when hard things happen in our life, to know that he, that he recognizes what it is. Because what's he calling this? I mean, he's calling this slavery that they're experiencing. He says, he described it as affliction. He calls it sufferings. And he, and he says, the other word he uses in verse 9 is oppression. He sees those things among his people and he recognizes it. 
But here's what I want to give you. So the Israelites may have forgotten the Lord, but God had not forgotten them. The second thing that we can learn as we see and continue on in this passage is this, is God's plan A is sending ordinary people to join his mission. Like, I want you to understand this. Think about this. God's plan A, like it's not plan B, C, D. It's not like backup plan is like, all right, guess I got to use Moses. I guess I'm going to need to use Eric or someone else and like that be his backup plan. No, his plan A from the beginning was to use ordinary people to join him in his mission of redemption. And so think about this. I mean, I know I've mentioned a few. I'm going to mention even some more. But how this happens, what God does. For instance, God sent Joseph. So we went back into Genesis. God sent Joseph. Why? Why did Joseph experience all the things he experienced? We could look on that as oppression. We could look on those things that he experienced as suffering and pain. But what was God actually using Joseph to do? You probably know this, right? He was using them, him to actually, he was going to rescue his people specifically, but God sent Joseph. And when we think of it that way, you think, man, he sent him. It seemed more like his brothers wanted to kill him <laughs> instead of being sent, but God was working, right? We know that Joseph even learned that even as he is accused of trying to uh, sleep with Potiphar's wife. No, instead he was above board. He was a man of integrity. And even though all these hardships happened, God was sending Joseph to save lives during a famine. A famine was going to come one day in the future, no, no one in that time in history knew that that was coming. His brothers didn't definitely know that, and they were not putting him in there for that purpose. But God was using all of those things because he was going to send him and just use an ordinary person, Joseph, to rescue his people and bring his family to safety and put him in a position of power so that he could rescue his people during a time of famine. Moses, even we're, gonna, we're seeing that right now, Moses is sent to bring deliverance from Egyptian slavery. Elijah was sent to change evil, the hearts of evil kings. And, it, and, and in a sense, it was messing with the politics of that day as God was using Elijah with Ahaz and Jezebel and all the, the evil that was going on during that, that his, uh, as his time as being a prophet. Jeremiah, what was Jeremiah doing? Jer Jeremiah was sent to, as a prophet to proclaim the word of God to a people. Jesus was, even we're told what Jesus came to do in, in scripture. Jesus was sent to proclaim the gospel of God. But what else is it we told? He, he comes, he, he, he proclaims the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand, right? We see that in scripture. But also, what else is he sent for? He, to, the recovery of sight of the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord. The disciples were sent to preach the good news of the gospel. Paul and Barnabas were sent for evangelism and church planting Throughout, as we look at the book of Acts, Titus, when you look at Titus, you know what Titus, Titus, God used Titus and sent Titus to straighten up a messed up church. God sends his people, he uses ordinary people. And, this, and here's what I want you to get to cross is that's plan A. That's not backup plans. Like that is his plan. His plan is to use ordinary people. And so when he says, listen, I have seen, look at, look at chapter three, verse seven again. The Lord said, I have surely seen. So he sees it. He knows they're suffering. And then verse eight, and I have come down to deliver them. So he says, I have come down. God comes down to earth. We, we're seeing this. He comes in this flaming bush that won't burn up. And, but he's come not to go straight to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. I've come down to deliver his people. But what is the deliverer? Who's going to be the deliverer? I mean, yes, it's going to be God. But what's his plan A? Moses. <laughs> His plan A is Moses. And so he says, 
And I have come down, verse 8, to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he, he describes all the people there. And now he says, verse 10, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Egypt, or children of Israel out of Egypt. So God says, my plan A is to use you, an ordinary person, to go to Pharaoh. And that's what we see as I just outlined throughout scripture. God's plan is always to use his people and specifically the, in the New Testament, the church, to proclaim the gospel to the world. It's not, it's not plan B, C, D, and E. It's the plan. The plan is using you and ordinary people who follow him to get the gospel to the nations. God is ascending God, and here's the truth. It is his plan A. It is plan A. It's not a backup plan. God uses people, very ordinary people, to accomplish his purposes of redemption. But as we're getting ready to see in verse 11, Moses had a lot of excuses. But here's the, here's the point. So do we, right? Moses had lots of excuses He's like, God's plan is to use Moses. And Moses is like, um, I have a few uh, remarks on that and some thoughts on that. So look at verse 11. But very first time we get, like I have them in this Bible. This is one of my reading Bibles. But I, I've, I've written a lot of notes and different things and things that have stood out. So I use this Bible to, to, to speak from today. Because like when I look at this passage on, on the page for me, I've circled a lot of buts. <laughs> like there's all these different statements that Moses says, and it stands out on the page if you look at it. He says in verse 11, but Moses said to God, first, first question, first point is, is like, but who am I that I should go? Like, who am I? Like me? Like, I'm not me. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Like, who am I? And then, and then look at chapter 4. Go to chapter 4. It says this. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They're like, but if I go, they're not going to listen. Like, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to me. In verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10, But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. Like, like even now you're speaking, and I still feel like I'm stumbling. <laughs> Like, right now, I still can't even speak. I can't even talk to you right now. I'm struggling, right? Like, he's saying, <laughs> in the past, and then in, and right now, I still can't do it. Like, even though you've shown up, and I'm speaking to you, and you're talking to me, I can't speak. I have, I, I am, I, maybe I have a stutter or something, but, uh, and so, basically, he's saying, who am I? They won't even believe me if I go, because who am I? And then, like, if I go, I'm going to mess this up, <laughs> like, like, I'm going to go and I'm going to mess all this up because I'll say the wrong thing. I'll forget what you told me to say and I won't do the right thing. I'm not eloquent. I can't even do this. How would I go and stand before the, the most powerful person in the world at this time and I'm going to go speak to him? And in verse 12, uh, we also see, Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But verse 13, but he said, Oh my Lord, please, <laughs> just please send someone else. Like, Surely there's another person that can do this. Have you ever prayed that prayer? It's like you start feeling a little bit like, man, God really wants me to do this. God, can you just send somebody else to do this? I really don't want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to give up my Saturdays. I don't want to, I don't want to do something, whatever it is. That, and it's like, God, can you just send someone else? You see, 
God is saying, this is my plan A, is you, Moses. I want to use you. I could do this myself. I don't need you. But I'm calling you for this purpose. And so God, we're seeing this, God uses very ordinary people, but most of the time people have lots of excuses. Because, I mean, have you ever caught yourself having similar excuses? Like, God, I, I just don't, I don't know my Bible enough. Like, and, and you're like, does God really want to hear that response? <laughs> like, um, how convicting can that be if you're like, God, I don't know my Bible. And God's looking at you like, well, I wonder why you haven't been reading it, you know, like, but it's like, I, man, I'm not sure I would know how to say the right thing. Like, like, man, can I not communicate the gospel to somebody? Like, if I've believed it, then I should know it. So then I should be able to communicate it. But oftentimes we, we do that. We're saying like, oh, I'm not sure I know. I'm not sure I can say the right things. I'm not sure if I can do that. Like, man, what if they ask me a really hard question and I don't know the answer to we get so hung up on the fears, but you can see it. Moses is terrified. I mean, he should be terrified because he's talking to God and God has just come up in a flame of fire in front of him. Uh, and yes, he probably is a little terrified of that. And so he's coming up with these excuses, but to be honest, we do the same thing. But here's the good news. The good news is this, is yes, God's plan A is to use ordinary people. But notice this, he doesn't just send you and say, man, good luck on this mission. No, in this passage, he gives really two significant promises. The Lord promises two things. He promises his presence and also he promises deliverance. He promises his presence and he promises deliverance. So look at verse 12. So he's just said, verse 10, come, I will send you. I'm using you and I'm going to send you. I'm sending you out. Live sent, as we're saying. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring up my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses is like, uh-uh. Like, who am I that I should go? But look at verse 12. He said, but I, so God uses his own here. And he says, but I will be with you. And then he's like, this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Listen, <clears throat> you're going to go. And you're going to speak. You're going to have some excuses here that we've just looked at that we're going to see in chapter 4. We've seen in chapter 4. He's going to have his excuses. He's like, who am I to do this? And God's like, here's the promise. I promise I will be with you. Have you ever been like that? Like, have you ever been in a situation um, where it's like, man, it'd be really nice to have someone beside me right now. Like, you go to a, a party. Like, have you, ever, have you ever been at a party and you're the one who has to go in that door by yourself? It's all, it's so much more comfortable, right? To go with someone with you. It's like, uh, just having another person, you're like, if man, when like no one can in, like cancels on you and you're like, then I'm just not going. <laughs> like if you might be that person who's like, uh -uh, I'm not walking in that situation by myself. I need someone to be with, with me. Right? Like, I think we feel that. And I, with our students, I would remind them of that often because you could see it like in student ministry, it's in the church too is when uh, like a parent drops their kid off and is like, hey, good luck going to youth group. And they've never been to this church before. And they're by themselves. That is one of the most, I'm, I'm thinking for a teenager, that's gotta be one of the most terrifying moments of their life is go like, I'm worried about my looks. I'm worried about what my hair looks like, my, what, I'm, what people are gonna think of me. They're gonna laugh at me, make fun of me. And you've gotta walk into that situation by yourself. You're terrified, right? And so, so Moses is feeling that. He's like, mm, mm And we're going to find God's not only going to just send Moses, he's also going to send Aaron to be with him too. He's promising, but more important than Aaron is his promise of his own presence. 
I will be with you. And notice in, in chapter four, verse 15, this is pretty, pretty cool too. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. So he's not only going to be with you, but he says, I'll be with your mouth. <laughs> like I'm going to be with your mouth too. Like you've been saying this about your fears and worried about how you're going to communicate this message. Are you going to be able to confidently say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And you're going to be terrified of what's going to happen. He's like, I'm going to be even not just with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be beside you. I'm going to be even with your mouth. I'm going to speak for you. I mean, what confidence this should instill in Moses, but we know he's told him this and we've already shared all his, all his uh, rebuttals of why he shouldn't be the one. But look at verse 17 as well. He says, um, so he tells him in verse 16, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob and Isaac has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. Man, it's not just like, hey, it's not even like a, I will bring you up out of Egypt. Like, it's one thing for, if God says something, right, we believe, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, okay, he's going to make it happen. But not only does he just say it, he says, I promise I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. He like makes a promise and says, I promise you I'm going to do this. Like if that doesn't instill more confidence in you, it should. But him say, I promise you, I will go before you. I'm going to be with you and I'm going to deliver you out of this affliction. But I think this leads us really to ask these questions of this passage because I want us to go back. I mentioned it at the very beginning. So Moses in verse 13 says this, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Like, okay, if I go, like, I, I, I mean, I can't go on my own authority. The, I mean, the Pharaoh's going to look at me and just kick me and see you later. Or maybe, I don't know what he's going to do to me, but... Like, whose authority? Like, I'm just a shepherd. I've been a shepherd for 40 years. I'm a nobody. And I'm pretty sure if they recognize me somehow, they're not going to like me either because I killed a man uh, in Egypt as well. And so he's going to go and he's like, all right, well, if I actually, if I come, like, I love the if, like, if I, if I actually do do this, so it's like maybe he's considering it a little bit. And he's like, okay, so say I go, <laughs> I'm not sure yet if I'm going to go or not, but just in case, if I do go, and if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and, and, why, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So he's talk to the people of Israel, the people who have been oppressed, who God has heard their cries, what am I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. There is so much in that name. The eternal existence that there it's there's like everything else like has a has like a beginning date. Like there was a point where I used to not be. <laughs> and then when we die, there's a point where we no longer exist. The, he is the self-existent one. He has eternally exist. He is always I am. Like I have always existed. It's not like I used to be or I will be. I am and I always have been like it's hard to even like we still don't even know how to even say like is Yahweh the right way we say it? like the it's hard to understand what Yahweh the Lord means and when he says I am who I am and so this should instill so much confidence because here's here's the thing 
God, think about this. God is I am, right? This is what I want to get at. I want to end with this. Is God is I am. He is completely not reliant on anything. He is eternally existent within himself. There is no need that he has to have fulfilled. There's nothing that keeps him going. He exists on his own, right? And so I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. He says this, God needs no one. Like, that's, you're like, well, that's super profound, Tozer. There's more to it. But he's, God needs no one, right? Like there's no need. God doesn't need Moses. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need anything that he has created. There's nothing in this world that God needs. So God needs no one. But notice this. But when faith is present, he works through anyone. I love that quote by Tozer. God needs no one. But when faith is present, he works through anyone because he wants to use people. He doesn't need anyone. He doesn't need me. Like, there is nothing about me that God says, man, I could really use him on my team. Like, if you're picking teams, like yesterday with wiffle ball, me and Austin and the little little kids playing wiffle ball, we didn't really get to draft, so we didn't get to pick. We were just told what team we're on. We're never on the same team for some reason. I don't know why we can't just take on the kids, but, um, but... but like, like there's going to be someone when you're picking teams, you're like, I really want him on my team because he's going to help out my team, right? Like he's going to be beneficial to the outcome of a game. God doesn't need us, but yet he's like, I want you on my team. I want to use you. And what does it take? It requires faith. We're seeing like, that's what I was saying earlier about Abraham. That's so impressive about Abraham is that God says, I want to bless you. I want to make your name great. I'm going to do all these things. And then he's going like, and maybe Abraham's going like, but even who are you? I don't even know who you are yet. Like, who is it? But he, he doesn't ask all these questions. He doesn't come up with these, these rebuttals like Moses does. He just says, okay. He gets up his family, pulls up all his belongings and says, all right, we're going. Where are we going again? And God's like, I'll show you. Doesn't even tell him. See, Abraham believes God. He follows him. And as Tozer says, God needs no one, but when faith is present, he works through anyone. So what is our responsibility? What is, what is it that God wants us to do? You see, our responsibility, like Moses, is to trust God and deliver his message. And sure, you're saying, like, well, what's the message? The message is just what we're seeing in this story, even as God says to Moses, who I am, right? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So what is our message? We tell people who God is, and entailing of all of that is what he has done, what he has accomplished, the work of redemption, the work of salvation through Christ. We tell them what he has done. We tell them about who God is. And then we tell them what he has said. We do what Moses said. God told me to go tell you this. That's exactly what we do with the mission in the New Testament. We do that. God has given us this command to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So all of his word. So what do we do? Where does, where does our witness end? You see, our witness doesn't, we, we shouldn't just be evangelists who just go and tell people about Jesus and say, all right, believe in him. No, we make disciples. See, what does a discipler do? What does someone who's going to be a discipler do? A discipler makes disciples. They help people observe all that I've commanded. So, so listen, so you share the gospel with someone and maybe your neighbor actually, man, what amazing moment, your neighbor or your coworker or someone you just randomly ran into came to know the Lord and they put their faith in Christ. Like it just, God did the work, right? Because that's the principle in the story. You're just faithful. God uses you. God, I mean, like we might be coming up with our excuses 
And I want to ask you that question. What's preventing you from following Jesus and making him known? Like what's preventing us from living more boldly? What's preventing us? And why are we coming up with our excuses like Moses? I mean, I want us to have eyes and ears like we see in this passage of our heavenly father who hears and sees the cries of a broken, hurting people who are in desperate need of deliverance and that we go and we follow in that mission. And, and here's the thing. If we do like Tozer was saying here, like God doesn't need me, but when faith is present, when I put my faith in a faithful God, he works through anyone. And here's the thing. You just deliver the message. Moses' job was not to was not to convince Pharaoh. Like his job wasn't to convince Pharaoh and be like, and Pharaoh's like, oh yeah, that's right. Thanks, Moses. <laughs> we know that didn't happen. God's gonna intervene with some plagues, right? Like, and God knew that already, even as he was using Moses. We're to be faithful to deliver the message. We tell them who God is. I am has sent me. We talk to them about God. We tell them what God has done. We tell them what God has said. And then we trust God with the results of rescue and deliverance. Like we just love people. We passionately pursue God and we make him known. And we watch as God does the work of saving. So our responsibility like Moses is to trust God and deliver his message. That's, that's really the gist of it. When we're saying living sin, it's pay attention to needs, notice, see those needs, and help meet them. And when God sends you, notice, know this, that it is his plan A. He wants to use you. He's not like, man... I guess I need Austin to do this today. Like, no one else will, and I don't feel like doing it. No, he says, this is my plan. I want to use you, and I'm going to use you. What we have to do is just by faith, believe, trust, and let him use us in, in, in incredible ways, really. And so what a, what a cool passage of Scripture, these two chapters. I encourage, you, I encourage you to read Exodus. Maybe you'll know more about it than I will next week. Um, but uh, it's a great book of the Bible to study, to see God's, deliverance. It's the beginning of that. I mean, it's already begun, but it's a big picture of that redemption happening and God taking a people and rescuing them and how he's going to use that in the New Testament to, we see the Passover happens in the story of him going. And that became the huge thing that Israelites constantly remembered of God's deliverance. And then eventually the sacrificial system being set up and all those things, all pointing us to the future of a gospel of Jesus being that ultimate sacrifice, who is going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, and then Jesus at the Last Supper is going to take that Passover feast that is going to be celebrated from this book of Exodus for centuries of God's people, remembering the, how God passed over them. And now God was going to change that and make that, that become a Last Supper of this is my body, this bread, instead of it being a Passover meal and feast. This is now where God is saying, my body was broken for you and my blood has been poured out for you for the for forgiveness of sins. And so we see all that starting and how it functions and goes in the book of Exodus. Such a great book. So I want to encourage you, man, our responsibility like most to trust God and deliver his message. So I hope we'll do that in the days and months and weeks and years and the rest of our life ahead of us. So let me pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for how you have spoken. Uh, to Moses, how you, God, would use a broken person who is a murderer in his past and is now just a shepherd out in a field for 40 years. But God, you were preparing him and he didn't even know it and he didn't feel prepared. And, and a lot of times we're not prepared, God, but thank you that you promise your presence with us and you promise deliverance. It is, help us to be just faithful. Man, so often we're not faithful and so forgive us of our lack of faith. Help us to trust in you and watch as you just use anyone who will do that. And so use us, ordinary people, 
to make a difference in this community uh, for the gospel. And we love you and thank you for it. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen.